want to invite you to open our Bibles to, we're, we're going to open two passages. So please open in Jeremiah chapter 6. So first let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. And then you keep one finger in Jeremiah chapter 6 and let's go to 2 Thessalonians. chapter 2. So if you can, I want to invite you to stand. And let's, let's read first in Jeremiah chapter 6. Starting verse 16. You see the context of the Chapter 6 is a context of condemnation, judgment. But chapter 6, there is hope. Verse 16, there is hope there. It says, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, stand by the roads and look, behold, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. That was the hope. Look at the answer. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Listen, O earth, behold, I'm bringing disaster upon these people. The fruit of their devices. Because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my Torah, my law, they have rejected. Now let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 15 says... So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. You may be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to the Lord. Today we are starting a new series in the life of this church. We are going to be looking at what it means for us to be Reformed and Baptist. What does it mean? And I'm not saying what it means to be Reformed Baptist, because if you get books on what it means to be Reformed Baptist, you're going to have all sorts of answers. So what it means for us here in this church? What do we mean when we call ourselves Salem Reformed Baptists? What are the implications? 
the name of a church is very revealing. The name of a church should be kind of the entrance that you know where you're going to be finding that place. So if you see a church named Relevant Church, you know what you're going to be finding there, right? Or so another church was Relevant, pe uh, relevant People, People's Church. You know what you expect. The name is very telling of a church. And some of you might be saying, yeah, here we go again, talking about the local church. And yes, we talk about the church. Do you know why? Because God loves the church. Think about God the Father. He loved the church so much that He gave His Son to die for the church. And the Son loves the church so much that He not only gave Himself, but He also gave His Spirit to the church. And now in turn, we also follow the steps of our Lord and we love what He loves. That is His people. And we give ourselves to God's people. And part of enjoying treasuring the local church, it is to treasure who we are, what we do as a local church. The Bible is very clear that Jesus died to bring one people and make His church one, united. So we do not unite the church. Christ has accomplished that. Our duty is to preserve the unity in the local church that Jesus has already bought with His blood. So in Ephesians, Paul says, Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager not to create the unity, but to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And how are we going to maintain the unity? We saw in our last series by having an understanding of forgiveness. Forgiving one another is a key aspect in maintaining unity. But there is also a very important aspect to maintain unity. That is a unity of conviction. What we hold together, what we believe. Key to preserve the unity of the church is to have a unity of doctrine. We here together must hold to a body of teachings, and this body of teachings will hold us together. What we believe will tell how we live. I remember one professor in, in seminary, he said, I fully agree with that, he says, a substantial amount of doctrinal agreement is necessary for biblical unity. We hear so much about unity, unity. Doctrine divides. Love unites. But there is no way to have unity in a local church if we don't have unity of doctrine. Knowing what we believe, what we hold together. Contrary to the, our modern concept that doctrine divides, we believe the lucid, coherent doctrinal statement is the only way of achieving sound unity. So we prize that. Think about the name of our church, the statement of faith of our church. It, it serves as a com compass, helping us to walk and navigate together in unity. We must have these things. And this church is young. It's a young church. But what we hold together is nothing new. 
what we hold together is very historical, traditional. The beliefs of the, this church here, there is nothing novelty. There is no new thing here. We have roots, we have traditions that we hold together as a church. Amen? And you think about our society is falling apart. Amen? The society is falling apart. And one of the reasons you see our society falling apart is the hate, it's the hostility, it's the rejection towards everything and anything coming from the past. All sorts of traditions have need to be removed. The past must be cut off. And by abandoning the past, people are left floating on a notion of subjectivity, superficial opinions, unreliable positions, and then people are unable to find direction and purpose in life. There was a time in the past when the historical traditions were treasured because people knew that they had been tested through time. Wisdom, think about wisdom today. Who are the wise people that our society is listening to? Actors in Hollywood. Yes, musicians, athletes. Greta Thunberg. Fifteen-year-old, back in the, she's probably eighteen now, nineteen. I don't know, but telling people how to preserve the world, all her wisdom in how to preserve the environment. Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, that's the voice of wisdom that people are listening to. There is a wonderful book called The Credo Imperative. The Credo from Creeds, The Credo Imperative by Carl Truman. And he talks about the different forces in our society that have been militating and, and fighting to destroy all these traditions that we have, the treasuring historical things. And he, he mentions many, but here are three that he talks about. First is science. He talks about science. He notes how science, by its very nature, assumes that the present is better than the past. The scientific age sees modernity as the main source of goodness. The world is just getting better and better. Forget about the past. The past is old. Technology. The technological world is one where the older people are dependent on the younger ones. The young people no longer need the wisdom from the older ones. And everything changed so rapidly. You buy, a, you buy your phone today, and next year it's already outdated. You need to change something from the past that needs to be removed. So you have science, technology, and then you have the consumerism, the consumer mentality. It says, the consumer is king mentality renders all established and time-tested practice unstable and utterly negotiable because it's all about pleasing people today what do they want today what do they like today and then you need to provide that for them so science technology consumerism and what's heartbreaking and very sad is you could think oh that's just outside the church but so much of this has been infiltrating and sneaking inside the churches 
You see how so many churches, the focus is the young people now. Old people are treated with contempt. Oh, old people. That smells like mold. I have heard people saying that. We don't want old people in our church. We need to reach the young people. And the church is becoming more and more juvenile. Just look at the church and you see the pastors, the preachers, they have no dignity. People just treating the church as a nightclub. It's very juvenile. Part of this change that we see is also in the changing names. Churches have been changing names. There is a drop in the old, well-known names like Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. People don't want those names anymore in their churches. We need to remove that. Dever and Lehman, they write... I, hi- I highly recommend this book, Baptist Foundations, Church Government for Anti-Institutional Age. So there's this book by... They are editing Mark Dever and, and Jonathan Lehman. It's called Baptist Foundations. I highly recommend you to get it. It's an excellent book. And they say, beginning in the 1950s, Robert Schuller, a church marketing mastermind, began the trend of dropping... Grumpy old words like Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist from church signs and replacing them with the gentler and family-friendly community, Valley Way, and others. These days, evangelicals do not identify themselves so much by the old denominations which divide over polity. They define themselves by their tribes. And tribes offer different lifestyle choices to those who are seeking them. So you see, churches no longer carry... The titles that were so well known historically. So as I said, you have Relevant Church, you have Dream Church, Burning Hearts, and so many other names that you just wonder if that's real, and they're real. The National Association of Evangelicals reported that 63% of member churches now do not include any denomination in their name. Then there was an article from the Miami Herald, Patricia Bourne, she says that she explained how many pastors now see traditional church names as a hindrance to saving souls. So if you have Baptist, Presbyterian, this type of historical names in your church as a name, that will hinder you from saving souls. They worry that such names conjure up images of pipe organs, narrow-mindedness, or stuffy formal services. And there is, I know, there is a split in the church. You think about traditional service. Then you have the more traditional service. And then the traditional service, then you have the traditional worship, the singing of hymns, maybe the use of hymnals, and a longer time preaching the word. And that's the traditional service. But then you have the what? The contemporary service. Where you have the music that's playing on the radio and this. The preaching is pretty short, it's very relevant, very cool, fun. And the church is split. One church is actually split in half because you have the traditional service, 8.30 in the morning for the older people to come, and then you have the contemporary service a little bit later so the young people can wake up later, come to church later, if it's not on Saturday night. So... And that's all the fruit of the self. The me. That's what I like. 
the meism, the idolatry of the self. We no longer have a community mind where we care about one another. It's all about me, me. And when you have this me, 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 the individualism targets the new discoveries, the new stories, new doctrines, new expressions, new songs. It has to be new because I'm new. And I have new ideas. I don't want the things from the past. And that's a completely the opposite of what is the church supposed to be like. Actually, think about the creeds and the confessions, the historical statements that we have. Those statements were written not because they thought that the Bible was insufficient, but actually because the Bible was so perfectly sufficient and they believed that everyone in the church should be able to understand those teachings. So they would summarize the creeds, the statements, for the more poor one, the kids, women, everybody to be able to read and understand together as one body. And more and more we see people claiming no creed but the Bible. We don't need any statement of faith. No creed but uh, Christ. I have no creed but Christ. Oh, I have heard people saying doctrine divides. You need to have love in your church. The problem is with that is that all Christians engage in confessional statements. The only question is whether you're putting to the public to analyze or if it's a private thing that only you can decide. But everybody has a statement of faith. Everybody believes something. The question is, is that church being open and willing to say that's all we believe? You can come and check? Or is it just hidden? So nobody can know. Many of the creeds, the confessions that we have, that we read, they were written, first of all, to fight heresies in the church, to combat false teachings, and to help churches to be united in the same conviction. There were healthy fences that the church was building under the reign of Christ. And I heard someone saying that good fences make good neighbors. And that's true. It helps a lot to know where the boundaries are. So you don't go to a different church and you try to bring your doctrines that have nothing to do with that local church. Like, hey, we have been clear here. You know, that's what we believe as a body. If that's what you hold so preciously. You need to find a, a different church where they hold to the same doctrines. So, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 7. Because this text here is very important. And many people use this text as sort of a proof text against all sorts of traditions in the church. So remember the Pharisees, they gathered and they come to complain why Jesus' disciples are not doing what? Washing their hands. When they come back from the market, why are they not washing their hands? And there was nothing in the Torah of Moses saying that once you come back from the market, you need to wash your hands. But there were traditions that they created to help the people to walk in holiness. And the problem was, 
we see what Jesus says here. Uh, look at verse 13. Verse 12, Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Or look at verse 15. Sorry, not verse 15. Uh, yeah, verse 13, where we were. So people get this verse here. Where Jesus clearly, or you can see verse 8, and you, and you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. Look at verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. Or verse 9. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your what? Own tradition. So people come to this text and, and they say, Do you see? The church cannot have any traditions, it's completely unbiblical. And the problem is that Jesus is not talking about all sorts of tradition. He's talking about a very specific tradition. And the tradition is when your tradition comes alongside with the Bible or over the Scriptures. That's what Jesus is condemning. It's when your tra man-made traditions take place with the same authority as the Word of God or above the Word of God. And that's what he was dealing with. And we know that there are, there are ungodly, unbiblical traditions. There are. And that's what Jesus is combating. That's what the Reformers combated with the Roman Catholic Church. Why? Because the Roman Catholic Church believes that the tradition of the church has the same authority as the what? As the Scriptures. So they go so far as that if the tradition is saying, it doesn't matter what the Word of God is saying. Because the tradition is declaring it. And even today, all church, many churches, they have their traditions, and a lot of times their traditions take over the scriptural basis. David Garland, he says, Tradition become, Traditions become evil when they run counter to God's purposes, expressing the ethical commands of how to relate it to others. Traditions become dangerous when persons are blind to how they undermine God's commands. Tradition, traditions become corrupt when people become more devoted to upholding them than obeying God's direct commands. That's when traditions must be put aside. And I pray that the Lord will deliver us from traditionalism. What is traditionalism? It's when He worships. It's the idol of tradition. And tradition is more important than the Word of God. But there are godly, there are good traditions that we have. And let me tell you that there, it's impossible to live as human beings without traditions. We are made. The word tradition is just, think about the word, what is tradition? The meaning of the word is a teaching that has been handed down. Something that has been passing. We were made by God to be creatures of tradition. Things that are handed down to us. Beginning... Beginning, of course, with the revelation of God. But there are family traditions that we have. And they're good. Good to be kept. Some, many of these traditions are not specified in the Bible. There's no verse or chapter in the Scriptures. So think about celebrating birthdays. We have a, a passage in the Bible that says, You shall celebrate birthdays. 
No, that's a tradition that we have, and it's wonderful because we're praising the Lord, giving Him thanks for the life that we are celebrating. Think about wedding anniversaries. Is there a passage in the Bible that says, you shall celebrate wedding anniversary? No, but we celebrate because we're giving thanks to the Lord for preserving the marital covenant. So I, I have met people who completely against traditions. We should not have any traditions, no traditions. How do you live? You're going to become the most obnoxious person in the world. Nobody can handle you. And you still won't be able to live like that. We have traditions in the wedding ceremony. There is no scripture in the Bible that says how a wedding ceremony is to be performed. There are traditions. We have a wonderful tradition of burying the dead, not cremating. Do we have a, a chapter and verse in the Bible where it says that you shall not cremate? No, not under the new covenant. I don't believe any under the old covenant. But there is a biblical principle that you see. And you see the tradition of Christians of honoring the body instead of cremating. That's always pictured at God's judgment in the old, throughout the scriptures. We see us honoring the body that God created. So there is a tradition in the Christian church to bury instead of cremate there are traditions with bible translations the whole translation industry is based on traditions of how to translate these scriptures so the person who usually says i don't hold to any traditions he's holding the king james and there is a tradition of interpretation translation even the order of the books do you find in the New Testament any order, any verse in saying, you shall, this shall be the order of the New Testament books? Start with Matthew, jump to Mark. No. It's a tradition in Bible translation. Think about the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. Those are beautiful, concise, precise statements of what the Bible teaches, especially about the person of Christ. As they were wrestling with false teachings, they started creating these creeds, these confessions, to help the church to summarize what we believe about Christ. Those are wonderful traditions that we have. Or think about the word Trinity. Do you find the word Trinity in the Bible? If you find it, let me know. No, that's a tradition, a Christian tradition of Coming up with this beautiful word. It's a wonderful word. The Trinity. The three in one. So from the early years of the faith, the church has created creeds, confessions, statements of faith, beautiful things and traditions for Christians to keep passing on. That magnify the Lord, that glorify the Lord. Even though we might not have a specific Chapter and verse in the Bible there. But they're good. They're noble traditions derived from the Scriptures. We find creeds in the Old and the New Testament. The clearest example of a creed. A creed is basically a short statement of what we believe. Credo. I believe. So in the Old Testament, the clearest creed. Do you know what it is? The Shema. Hear, O Israel. And then go to declare the Lord God is one. That's a creed. 
It's a precise statement of who God is to help people to memorize and know that. You go to the New Testament, you have a variety. Just one example here. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was a creed. Christ Jesus came to the world to, to save sinners. And people declare that as a creed. A statement of what we believe. So, the confessions of faith, the creeds, they help the church to have boundaries to function in unity. And we need confessional boundaries to keep us united in conviction. Amen? So, it's heartbreaking to see so many Christians rejecting and being so hostile towards these beautiful things that the Lord has provided for the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, we, the, Lord, the Lord tells us through Paul that Jesus, when He ascended, He gave teachers to the church. Teachers to the church. And these teachers, throughout the history of the church, they have been a gift to the church to help the church understand better certain doctrines, to summarize certain biblical doctrines for the well-being of the church. So to reject the tradition, to reject the things that, 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 that the Lord has given to the church is actually to reject the gift of Christ Himself. The creeds, the historical confessions, the traditions that we, we hold dear, they're never over the Scriptures. They're always under the Scripture. The Reformers would talk about the Word as the magistrate. And the confessions and the creeds as ministerial. They serve the magistrate. The Word of God is over. The creeds and confessions, they come underneath to help us. The same with our statement of faith. is a statement of faith to help us what we believe about the Scriptures. So, you see how vital it is. Uh, and as I said, may the Lord deliver us from traditionalism. And I have seen so many churches fall into the trap of traditionalism when the tradition is more powerful than the Word of God. They will hold to the tradition more dearly than the Scriptures themselves. And may the Lord deliver us from that. But it's not because people do that with tradition that we are going to go to the other extreme and reject all sorts of tradition. That's ungodly. That's not good to do. So you might ask, Google, why are you spending time talking about traditions, creeds, the past? I thought this whole series was about who we are, the present. Here we are in Salem, Oregon. And why are you talking about all these things? And the answer is very simple. We are not creating anything new here. There is no novelty. We are just following the ancient path. We are just walking on the path that others tread upon before us. The more, you, you see that historic, historically, the more some churches deviated from the historical creeds and confessions, the more those churches embraced mysticism, paganism, and world philosophies. Because those creeds were given by Christ to help the church to have a protection. And the more churches reject those creeds, those gifts of God, to the church, the more you see them embracing all sorts of worldly philosophies. So, turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6.
a context of judgment, gloom, doom, the Lord says in verse 16, Stand by the roads and look. And the picture is of this man here. Like there is a fork on the road. Where shall I go here? He's standing there. Where shall I go? And the Lord says, Ask for what? The ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. You see, we have a hard time because we love the new roads. Amen? We want new streets, better asphalt. We love, we don't like old roads. It's horrible, bumpy. But you need to think as the ancients would think. If you have two roads and one is clearly treaded upon, marked, and there is that one that has one footstep here, another there, where do you think they're going to go? The old one. You know that there is a destiny. People has, have walked upon that. You know that they're going somewhere. The other one, is, that's scary. You don't want the new road because you have no idea where it's leading you. And that's exactly what the Lord is telling Jeremiah. Tell the people, ask for the ancient paths. And what is the ancient paths? The Word of God that He has given through Moses, through the prophets. The Lord is telling His people, you don't need a new thing. You do not need a new thing. What you need is the old thing that I gave you. The old revelation. And I pray that we will be a church that love the ancient paths. Not the new, the novelty, the cool. Philip Riken, he says in his commentary, he says, yes, the ancient paths clearly, the word of God, but he says there is another way to interpret the ancient path and the good way. Jeremiah maybe have been speaking not only about the Bible, but also about sound theology in the history of God's people, the church. Other Christians have walked down the ancient path of the Bible before us, and they can, they can show us the way. Christians can learn from the past without living in the past. What does he mean by that? means that we don't need to try to be like the Reformers and dress like the Reformers or like the Puritans. That's one of the dangers is once you start embracing this tradition, suddenly what, you think you need to be just like them. I said, no, you, you don't need to live like them. You don't need to dress like them. You speak like them. God has placed you here. What you need is the truth that they were declaring. So he goes on, he says, Wherever Christians have followed in the footsteps of Christ, their footsteps should be followed. This is one good reason to recite the ancient creeds of the church. They represent what all Christians everywhere have always believed about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Oh, how many churches need desperately to go back to the ancient paths. The ancient paths. And that's my prayer that we will be a church that's just declaring we will not move out of the ancient paths. That's where we are walking. We see how many Baptists, Dutch Reform, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian churches that deviated from the historical traditions end up deviating from the gospel itself. 
as I said, because the Lord was orchestrating these things historically, protecting the church. So, as we think about our church, our name, Salem, why Salem? Because that's where we are. Amen. We have Reformed, we have Baptists, these labels, these titles, these names. And they are not new, they're historical. Those are historical names, titles that we have. Why? Because it traces us back to something that's not just new and cool. Takes us to the history of what God has been doing throughout the centuries. The title Reformed summarizes what we believe about the Word of God. How sinners can be justified by God. Who man is. Who God is. The name Baptist encapsulates what we believe, what the Bible teaches about the life of the church. Who is supposed to be baptized, who belongs to the church, how the church is to be governed, how we are to see the ordinances. So all those things, these names, these titles, they help us to summarize what we believe about the Bible. What the Bible teaches about these doctrines. So we believe that the way forward is always, what? Back to the ancient paths. Always. Our banner in this church will always be Christ. Our hope is only the gospel of Jesus. We declare Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Amen. We do not preach denomination. Denomination cannot save anybody. Reformation cannot save anybody. The reformers cannot save anybody. Only Christ alone and His gospel alone can do that. Amen. But here is what the, the truth is. The church that declares Christ, that preaches the gospel, that holds the gospel as its only banner, is the church that remains holding firm to the historical, apostolic, Protestant, Reformed traditions. Because they take us back to the gospel. There is this chain connecting. So we boast and glory in the tradition, not because of the tradition itself, but because this tradition is taking us where? Back to the word of God. Back to the ancient path. That's the only reason. And I had people questioning when you talk about the church, the church's name, talking to other pastors. Why, why do you put Reformed in your name? Why do you put Baptist in your name? Why do you put Reformed? So our church will always be reminded that we must teach the precious doctrines of what? Salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, for God's glory alone. And that we are always reforming as a church. The depravity of man, the grace of God, the power of Christ. And the reign of the Holy Spirit. That's what we must be reminded when we talk about reform. And that's my plan through the next sermon is to develop what we mean by reformed. What do you mean by calling ourselves a reformed church? How about Baptists? Why Baptists? We want to remind us of our biblical tradition of regenerated, re regenerated membership. The beauty of the ordinance, the preciousness of church membership, the authority of the whole congregation, the autonomy of the local church. We don't have a group of churches that dictate how we live. We believe that the Bible is very clear that the local churches, they have their own authority under Christ. So we hold, we hold very dearly. Men like John Knox, Tyndale, Calvin. I think about Spurgeon, William Carey. 
Adonara Judson. Yes, we hold them dearly. And we see that we are not this oddball that's just coming up with new ideas. We have a tradition, we have a historical roots that trace us back. And we glory on that because they are taking us back to the gospel. We don't stop there. And the better we know who we are, the stronger we'll be able to walk together. The stronger we walk together, the more glory we bring to our Lord. And the more glory we bring to our God, the more joyful, sanctified, and a greater light we shine in this dark place. Amen? So to finish, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Open there with me. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says to the Philippians, verse 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one what? Mind. And if you were with us when you walked through Philippians, you remember the Greek word for the mind here. Fronel. Fronel. What is fronel? A pattern of thinking, acting, and feeling. A pattern of thinking, acting, and feeling. It has thoughts, emotions, actions, all behind this word here. And part of having the same mind that Paul is calling the church is having a unity in the understanding of the most essential doctrines for the life of this church. It's crucial for the members of a local church to be able to go and say what they believe and they hold together. Imagine trying to keep the unity in a church where, where the members are disagreeing whether women should be pastors or not. Can you keep unity in a church when you have Jeff arguing with Nestor that Jeff thinks that Tracy should be a pastor in this church and Nestor is saying, no, cannot have women. Can you imagine? How can we preserve the unity in the church like that? People are arguing about fundamental doctrines that we should be agreeing together. Or trying to keep the unity when people question the doctrine of the Trinity. Or some people are holding to Darwinism. And then you have Arminianism and Calvinism. And then you have some families saying, my kids need to be baptized because we are pedo-baptists. And then you have others saying, no, that's wrong to baptize infants. How can you keep unity in a church like that? There is no way. <laughs> that's why it's important for us to know what we believe, what we hold together, and that we will empower us to magnify the Lord. Never rejecting, never despising the traditions that we have, the godly, the biblical traditions that we have, but always placing them in the right place under the Scriptures. I like what Spurgeon says. He says, It seems odd to me that certain men who talk so much what the Holy Spirit reveals to them should think so little of what the Holy Spirit has revealed to others. That's what happens when people are always rejecting all sorts of creeds and traditions and confessions of faith. Oh, you are so full of yourself. 
So the Holy Spirit can reveal things to you, but not to others in the past. So, may we stand in Jeremiah 6.16 and say, we want the ancient paths. We want the ancient paths. Look at that. And walk in it. And walk in it. Have a lifestyle on those ancient paths. Not seeking the new, the cool, the trendy, the ancient paths. And look at what happens. What is the result? What is the result? And you find rest. That's why these churches can never find rest. They're always going after the new thing, the new thing, the new thing, the new thing, the new thing. There is no rest. For those who hear this sermon and they, they're not part of this church, my encouragement is find a church. Find a local church where they prize the ancient paths. Because that's the only place that you will find rest for yourself. And I pray that the Lord will help us to be a church that, yes, we treasure, we value what the Lord has done through the centuries. But it's always because it's taking us to the ancient paths. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we pray your blessing upon this series as we start today, Lord. We pray that you'd help us as a church to be united in doctrine. I pray that we'd have a unity, a unity of conviction. We already have a unity of affection. We have a unity of love, of fellowship. But we need, we know that we need unity of conviction here, Lord. And I pray that you'd be working us, helping us. I pray for wisdom as I, I'm preparing these sermons and this series. Help me to be clear. Help me to be precise. Help me to be faithful, Lord. And I pray that the church here, all the members would be faithful in listening and checking to see if the scriptures are telling us so what I'm saying from the pulpit, Lord. Help us. We need your help. And the whole purpose, the whole purpose is to magnify your name. The reason why we are doing that, we are studying these things, is because we want to glorify you. We want this church to be a church that reflects Christ Jesus. The love, the unity, so help us. And we believe in your promise. As we walk upon the ancient paths, we will have rest, as we have been having. Even when you go through the turmoil, the storms, we still find rest in you. It's amazing. Because of the ancient paths. Thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon this church as we are starting this new endeavor, this new series. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.